Hi and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis and I'll be your host for this evening of this wonderful certified beekeeping technician course. Uh, you won't be receiving at the end of the course a certificate. This is just for your knowledge and entertainment. Uh, we'll be doing tonight B9 number 25 workers and we're just going to do some housekeeping cleaning up uh, the rest of the workers jobs and things like that so <laughs> a little play on words there um, I hope that you guys are uh, learning a lot from this and uh, love to hear from you guys you guys can reach me at uh, fat bee honey ranch all small letters at gmail.com anyways jumping into this here we go um, we're going to be talking about uh, um, house bees uh, what happens to them after they get to the point where they are finished being house bees, what happens next? Uh, we have field bees after the house bees. Activities involving flight may start from the third day after emergence from the brood cell, but young worker begins her actual foraging activity later. Between the 18th and 21st day, her hypopharyngeal glands and wax glands have become too weak to function, so she cannot produce royal jelly to feed the queen and the young larvae, nor build wax for the comb cells. But by this time, she has the perfect condition to fly and knows the geography of the lo locality. She therefore starts field work fetching nectar, pollen, propolis, water, and always concentrating on her activity in the immediate needs of the colony. Observations conducted in several places showed that foragers begin to be active as early as 5.15 a.m. and by 6.30 or clear until 6.30 p.m. Now that uh, is definitely changed between breeds. Um, if you have uh, Carnolian, they get up a little bit later and uh, retire a little bit earlier. Um, but if you have Russian bees, uh, they tend to get up really early and stay out really late. I don't know, something to do with the vodka or something, I don't know. <laughs> um, almost all have returned to the hive usually by 6.30 p.m. And one of the reasons is, is that they are not able to be warmed up by the sun anymore and they start coming back home in order to have enough energy to, to actually make it home. Um, in the later part of July, August, and September, most foragers are... Morse foragers brought pollen in. By 5.20 a.m., the first consignment of pollen had arrived. More heavy loads of pollen continued to come, and traffic at the entrance was heavy until 7.30 a.m. This phenomenon was repeated between 10 and 11.30 a.m. when the sunshine was intense. Um, the other thing that, that uh, starts going into this timetable of the field bees is uh, nectar in the flowers only flows at certain periods of time and only after a lot of times after a shower or when the roots are are watered so 
<laughs> there's a, a whole lot of uh, scheduling that they have to do. <laughs> they don't have their, their Franklin planners out there, but by golly, they definitely know when it's time to go out and get uh, nectar from uh, their clover or nectar from the um, sunflower or wherever they're getting their nectar from, from dandelions or wherever. They know what time that particular um, flower opens up for business when and giving nectar. Um, they also know which ones are heavy in pollen and they will visit those in times of large pollen need and that happens to be during brood rearing. Um, and so they have they have a lot of different things that that uh, they work at doing. Uh, nectar, the sweet liquid secreted by plants, nectaries are collected by foragers and taken to the hive and turned over to the house bees for processing. The forager then returns to the flowers and collects more. The number of trips she makes in a day can be assessed precisely. It may vary from time to time for a number of reasons, the availability, accessibility of nectar source and the quantity of nectar present and the nectar requirement for the colony the next day. Sight and smell enable the bees to locate sources. She lands on part of the plant that will support her, dips her stretched proboscis into the corolla of the flower. There, If there is nectar, she sucks it out into her honey stomach. If there is none, she wastes no time before moving on to the next flower. Some flowers have more nectar than others. Sometimes a bee can load up enough by visiting one or two or three, but in plants with tiny flowers, she can only get a full load by visiting hundreds of flowers. A fully loaded bee can carry 85% of her own weight. Time taken to complete the trip varies, but can reach two hours. Foragers visit certain plants at specific times of the day. For example, um, clover produces large quantities of nectar and sweet juice, which flows on parts of the stem, or as I were, in, in, in parts of the flower. Um, and bees will work that flower until it is completely and totally dry. Um, when flowers have been pollinated by the bees, a lot of times that flower will stop producing uh, nectar as it has accomplished its goal. So if a field has been worked over heavily by bees and, and all the flowers are fertilized, a lot of times that particular um, plant will no longer uh, give nectar and the whole entire field is essentially done. Um, bees will, bees have a certain um, desire for certain types of uh, tastes and so you will find some bees that have a proclivity for one type or another and they will actually stay in the hive and not go out and forage if they know that it's not time for that particular flower to be open and giving nectar. Water collection 
Bees consider water carrying as one of their most important duties. They execute it regardless of what may be involved. If they need water for the hive, they will resort to drastic measures to acquire it. In water-scarce areas, desperate bees will sometimes attack farmers for their sweet or for the sweat, and clothes cannot be washed and clothes cannot be washed outdoors in the daytime for fear of uh, molestation by desperate bees searching for water. Um, one of the things that we can do as beekeepers is to provide uh, water for this water collection. Um, and the other thing we can do to keep them from landing on people as well, which usually freaks them out, <laughs> is by having uh, a salt lick in our, our bee yard. Um, that way they can, there's a little bit of water on the salt lick, they'll go over and lick it and then bring the, the salt back to the hive. And they will stop landing on people who are coming to visit your apiary. Um, your water needs to be um, 20, 25 feet away from your hive if, if at all possible. The farther away you can get it, the better it is because Bees, when they leave their hives, one of the first things they do is they drop their uh, scat and uh, take off. So um, they, if there's water closer to the hive, they won't drink from it or take from it because they don't want bee diarrhea. And, uh, and they'll usually be dropping um, bee excrement in the water as they take off so they don't drink stuff close by. Um, they also end up collecting water from things that taste better <laughs> to them. So a lot of times they will um, take it from ponds that have a certain taste to it, certain mineral content. And uh, they will also visit <clears throat> your neighbor's chlorinated water pool just because the smell is so different that they're very, it, they can find it very easily by the smell. So that's one of the things that you want to try and avoid by putting out your own water. And sometimes you may have to flavor that water a little bit to get them to come and drink from it so that they have some way of designating there's water 25 feet away, it's in this direction, follow the sun, blah, blah, blah. So um, I've seen some people throw in little pieces from their uh, salt block into the water. I've seen People also in, in water and in sugar water include an energy drink in there. So they, they pop the cap and throw their energy drink in and the bees will um, take the water because they can sense the uh, caffeine in there and they actually like the caffeine. <laughs> so, um, and uh, they will also put it into uh, sugar water so that the bee will take the caffeine, caffeinated sugar water. So, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of interesting that way. Uh, one of the other things that bees do is they are a scout bee. Um, later foragers can take scout duties as well. A scout bee locates food sources and passes on the information to other bees in a series of dance-like movements. She circles round and round, stamping her legs, waving her abdomen, and sometimes she stretches her proboscis, possibly to show the type of food that she has found, or the type of water. <laughs> um, 
The onlooking beat workers watch her dance, interpret it, and act accordingly. It is believed that different dances show different types of information to be passed on. Another important duty of the scout bee is in a new swarm is to search for a suitable accommodation where the rest of the swarm waits on a tree branch or in a small enclosure on finding a suitable hollow hive hollow or hive she returns to the swarm and performs a dance to help them find where she was the two two or more bees make different finds each scout dances especially vigorously in an attempt to win the support of the swarm. Now, scout bees uh, tend to go out and uh, be robber bees from other hives and from empty hives. And if that happens, uh, a lot of beekeepers get all upset and try and close up their hives so that they can maintain the uh, um, whatever honey is still in the frame so that when they put a new colony in there they'll at least have a little tiny bit of a boost however um, like we were saying before these scout bees also happen to be scout bees for new swarms so one of the things that we do when we're trying to attract a new swarm is we'll throw a frame of honey in some of these uh, swarm catchers so that they smell the honey, they show up for the honey, but then they realize that it's an empty hive and they will be more likely to point uh, um, bees, bee swarms in that particular direction. Um, another thing that they check out is the smell of the, the place that they're guiding everybody to. And if you can better that smell by putting some lemongrass oil in there, uh, those bees will really like that. Um, another job is being a robber bee. All worker and foraging bees are thieves. They claim anything like they are, like it is their own property. They snatch honey away from honey harvesters from other swarms during the daytime, especially when the weather is sunny and bright in the rich um, bee zones. Where water is scarce, bees easily steal water from villagers. Robber bees visit other colonies and hives to try and take honey in order to store it in their own hive. The problem with hive robbing is not as serious in uh, tropical regions. However, up here in Canada, we get a lot of hive robbing. Uh, the, only the very weak colonies are sometimes robbed and usually it is abandoned hives and other colonies that other colonies invade and take advantage of the honey stored in the comb cells. You also get um, late swarms taking advantage of these similar circumstances of uh, empty areas with wax already in it and a little bit of honey. Uh, they come in with a smaller amount of bees. They start uh, getting their brood rearing up and going and they start making uh, goals for winter um, living. So um, yeah, that's something that, that robber bees and uh, uh, fall swarms end up sharing is, is the robber bees end up showing the fall swarm where to go. <coughs> All right, so <laughs> that's round about everything that, that I have seen about worker bees. Um, 
Uh, I think one of the things that we need to talk about on the last is the anatomy of the stinger and the poison sac. Uh, it's something that we've talked about before. However, I think it's important for us to talk about it here since uh, these are the bees that have this particular um, stinger. So the stingers are built like two saw blades put back to back and they're of course pointed in the front and then they have jagged edges along the sides of the saw blade and the saw blade down the middle um, is separated one side from another and will extend each side will extend in in concert so um, when one extends one retracts and what that does is it walks the stinger into the person that they or animal that they have stung and uh, it happens even after the bee has left the poison sac and the stinger in the person or in the animal who's invading. So um, the uh, poison sac that comes out uh, is hooked up in a pumping system and it continues pumping poison into the individual. So if you don't want a sting to hurt as much, one of the things that you do is immediately take out the sting, wipe it off with uh, what some people wipe it off with a credit card. Some people just wipe it off if you're beekeeping with a, a hive tool. Whatever you need to do in order to wipe it off without squishing that poison sack is usually a good thing. So um, I think that's everything for uh, worker bees that I can think of. So. I guess we'll close this one a little bit earlier. I just wanted to finish up and do some housekeeping and, and make sure that we've got that. Um, anyways, thank you guys for coming and I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, hopefully you guys are, are learning some stuff. If you'd like to contact me again, you can get me at fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com. You can also visit our Facebook. Um, and our um, WordPress uh, page. And uh, yeah, <laughs> we will be getting up and running um, either Patreon or one of the other sites that uh, pays for access. Uh, we are going to be getting some new hives in and we'll be finishing uh, some of the uh, uh, videos and, and we will be posting our videos on the pay site so that we can earn a little bit of money for doing this wonderful service for everybody. So thank you very much and we'll talk with you guys later.